Welcome to the I Am Podcast. My name is Carl Weaver, and I am the website content manager at I Am. If you have any suggestions for the I Am Podcast, you can email me at carl.weaver at iamovers.org. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. Welcome back. Today I have with me Brian Lemperopoulos, who is the IAM's uh, Vice President. Thanks for being with us again, Brian. Always a pleasure, Carl. I'm surprised you're, uh, you're, you're recording this podcast and not downtown, storming the Capitol. That's no, a, no, not I, what you had today. No, my, my, uh, my criminal record is very clear, and I plan to keep it that way. Smart man. Um, but I do have some excitement for you. This is 2021, and uh, I, I know we never thought it would get here. We we're hoping that it would be a you know, very sane, calm year. Uh, so far, it's maybe not been that calm here in the US. But um, the exciting part of this is that it's season two of the podcast, episode one. We made it. We made it. I don't know how we did it, but we made it. <laughs> To quote uh, Carpenters, looks like we made it. Yeah, it does look like we made it. And uh, this has been a fun undertaking that we, you know, Carl has led over the past, I, what, four or five months now. Yeah. That's really another way for us to get information out to our members. So we're excited about it. And any, you know, I think, let us know if you have any suggestions or if you want to participate on the podcast. We always want uh, new voices on here. We always love to talk to our members. Or, or, you know, some outside expert on some topic. So, yeah, let us know if you want to be on here. You can always leave us a voice message. And I've got a canned uh, voice message comment uh, at the end of the podcast. But I will make a link in the show notes, too, where you can leave us a voice message. Yeah, if you do have something quick to say, or if you want a whole segment, email me, carl.weaver at iamovers.org. We want to have you on our show. And, and we had a we had Tony Tickner from the Eurogroup on the podcast just before Christmas. And Tony was sharing with us, you know, the latest about what's going on uh, with the port congestion in the UK. So that's just uh, a really good example of, uh, you know, you're not just listening to IM staff, you're listening to actual industry experts with real on the ground knowledge of what's going on. And it was a really valuable discussion with Tony. And, you know, the purpose of, of our chat every two weeks, Carl, is we, we kind of run down what we put in the ePortal. And so that was the first thing that was in the ePortal this week was a, a link to Tony's comments and in, um, in the podcast. So really fitting that that's the top link in the in the e-portal after we started off with that right there's a lot of great information in that talk that you did with them um you know and i know you know we're in 2021 and everything's perfect now but there's still port congestion there's still uh surcharges and stuff like that so it hasn't gone away um but something interesting i read brian is that there's more capacity from asia to other parts of the world right now than there has been at this time, possibly ever. And I think it's connected with Chinese New Year, people mm. sending stuff. Um, so Sending stuff back to China? 
well, sending stuff from China to family overseas or, yeah. you know, products uh, for the Chinese, uh, uh, you know, communities uh, elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, it, the sense I get is that there's a lot of manufactured goods stacking up at in Chinese factories and Chinese ports, and they don't have the containers to load those things into. Mm -hmm. And while on the other hand, here in the States, we have a need to import, uh, but the ports are just completely congested. Uh, you know, I, I saw on Facebook just today, one of our members, uh, Mark Nash uh, from Euro USA saying, you know, he can, he can get a, I think he can get a container, but to, to get it on a ship, there's no available stowage capacity on these ships because they're just, they're, they're filled to the brim. Uh, these shipping lines are trying to get equipment back to where they need to be. And so um, I'd be, be interested in seeing that article because uh, it just seems like all this stuff is not in the right place. You know, there's enough containers around the world. It's just, they're all uh, in the wrong place. And that's where, you know, we, we focused on that for our our virtual conversation on port congestion at U.S. ports. Uh, we had great guests on for that with um, Jim Nance from Southwest Ports and uh, Sheena Kaiser from uh, Seacorp, kind of giving us the lowdown on both what's going on at the East Coast and West Coast ports in the U.S. So if you are seeing any of this, um, Carl and I, we're not experts, uh, but we have experts that are kind of bringing you this information. So I, I highly encourage you to kind of engage with those discussions and, and let us know what you're seeing in your, in your neck of the woods. Right, yeah, and what it, so what I saw, it said that capacity was there in terms of shipping. That doesn't mean there's capacity in terms of, um, in terms of actually getting stuff on a ship. You know, it may be that ships are empty and wanting to go, but you know, you don't have containers here. Perhaps. There's this backlog, massive backlog you're trying to clear up. So it certainly doesn't feel like it, I'm sure. Yeah. But I'll, I'll send that article to you if I can find it again. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, next thing we have here is that Betamac has provided a resource to help uh, movers navigate Brexit customs changes. This is a really cool uh, resource. Uh, I did take a look at it. Uh, it looks pretty helpful, you know, one-stop uh, place to look at, you know, for your Brexit changes there that are, and of course that's a fluid thing too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, Brexit happened, nobody, you know, on January 1st, 2021, and, you know, all in, all communication so far was that there was going to be, there was real concern that it was going to add further issues to the import and export situation from the UK. And so far, the reports I've heard have been so far so good. So we'll see how that progresses. But, you know, our friends at FEDIMAC, the Federation of European Moving Associations, has put together this very helpful resource. And we're happy to extend it and help amplify it so that all of our members, uh, whether they're FEDIMAC members or IM members, can kind of get a sense of how to import as well as export out of the UK uh, under this new paradigm. So a helpful resource there, thanks to FEDIMAC. Yeah. So we, we've had some interesting times here the past few days in the US. You know, it's today is the 8th of January and we alluded to this before a couple of days ago we had, um, 
Uh, how, how do we talk about this, Brian? I guess I, I, I guess we're calling it an uh, attempted insurrection at the Capitol. Is that yeah. is that the right terminology? I kind of want to defer to a political scientist on that. I know this isn't something that we have every every day or year or decade here in the U.S. So uh, we're not sure exactly how to refer to it, but yeah, certainly uh, attempted insurrection I think is appropriate. Uh, and so there was a lot of stuff going on with the government. You know, we had that. We have, uh, you know, further threats of uh, for January 20th, uh, revolving around the same topic, uh, because that is the inauguration day for President-elect Biden and uh, Vice President-elect uh, Harris. Uh, so on that score, we've got this session on January 13th. It's the U.S. and government affairs U.S. government and military affairs update, which has been very popular. Uh, you were in on those, weren't you, Brian? Yeah, I'm the screen share guy on that. Oh, so, um, you know, I, I'm kind of scrolling. Uh, the last two uh, sessions, we focus on the change to the DOD business rule. So um, these are rules that U.S. Transportation Command, who is the program manager for the uh, DOD personal property program, uh, administers. And obviously, when business rules change, they can affect how you uh, price a move and, and uh, you know, what sort of cost factors you have to take into consideration. So very popular sessions. And this session on January 13th, um, our President Chuck White and our Director of Government and Military Relations, Dan Bradley, are going to host, um, uh, I think it's Lieutenant Colonel Lisa Ryan, uh, from uh, U.S. Transportation Command to talk about a recent change to how I believe U.S. military service members should be identified, you know, what sort of identifiers they should use in order to protect their personally identifiable information. So that'll be the first part of the conversation. And then the second part, which I think has more appeal to a broader audience, is uh, now that we know the the power dynamics in the House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, and the presidency. Our uh, external government affairs relations person, Brian Vickers, is going to update us on you know what we can expect going forward into yeah into uh, Joe Biden's uh, first two years. Um, so I, I think if you're involved in the U.S. moving side of things, that is absolutely a session you need to be a part of. Uh, whether you move things to or from the U.S. or doing interstate moving, there are a lot of things that are going to change with this new administration. Um, uh, perhaps from, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, from a legislative standpoint, and all of these things have an impact on your business. So show up, um, U.S. Government and Military Affairs update. That's January 13th. Uh, and what is that at 1 p.m., Carl, Eastern? I believe that's correct, 1 p.m. <clears throat> and we also have um, on the 20th, we have the uh, third edition of the I Am Asia Pacific Hour. Uh, and that is, if you have not attended those, if you, if you do business in Asia or you have uh, maybe clients in Asia or you know, some sort of business partners, this is something you should be part of. Uh, the hard part, if you're in the US or at least on the East Coast, and you want to take part in it, it's at 11 at night. And that's because 
you know, 11 at night, it's going to be in Singapore, for example, 11 in the morning, I believe. So we're trying to make it accessible for the Asia Pacific uh, members. But definitely, if you, know, if you have business partners over there, you do business over there, you want to be part of this discussion. And it's covered a few different topics, most notably recently, the uh, port congestion and issues like that uh, that's, uh, that we talked about earlier. So it's, there's been a lot of really good information and it's not just talking heads telling you what's going on, it's actual members with boots on the ground there uh, telling us you know, what they are actually seeing and experiencing. So I found it very uh, interesting to listen to that. Yeah, so uh, this time we're trying to we're going to try and do a specific focus on corporate relocations throughout the Asia Pacific region. Uh, you know, so what, what's the current state of it? What's the future outlook? And this is kind of expanding on the corporate relocations in the Asia Pacific region uh, session that we held at our virtual annual meeting, and we had great session there with uh, folks from uh, the Mars Corporation from. Uh, Clayton Pharmaceuticals and uh, Australia, Schneider Electric, and um, K-Coot from uh, Silk, Re Silk Relo. So it was a great session and we're just going to try and expand on that. But th these are meant to just be interactive sessions where we can kind of um, meet with each other and hopefully learn a new face and maybe exchange business with a new person. So. Uh, we encourage everybody who wants to participate to participate. And, uh, but it is, like Carl said, it will be January 21st when this takes place in uh, the Asia Pacific time zone, right? So um, January 21st, but January 20th for us, Carl and I here on the US East Coast. So we'll be, uh, we'll be drinking our coffee late that day. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Uh, next thing coming up is the IM uh, Mobility Exchange Data Analytics and Advertising uh, session. So what this is, there are two sessions. One is on the 21st at, I think, one in the afternoon. No, it's 11 a.m., sorry. And the other one is for the, again, Asia Pacific uh, folks among the members. And it's going to be on the 27th. And I think that's 11 at night again for our time. So it'll be the 28th for folks over in, uh, in um, Asia and the Pacific. <clears throat> but what this is, is a way for you to get a handle on how to interpret uh, all the searches and uh, data that your company has amassed on IM, uh, on Mobility Exchange. And for example, they've done, I think last year, more than 280,000 searches. Yeah, you know, and, and 1, 1.5 million events. So uh, it, it's just the searches is one event and then there's other events that make it up. So, I, I, you know, there's a lot of traffic coming through here. And if you wanna know how it's all manifesting itself and whether it has value, we are showing the value. And this is the first step to learning how you can access that value. Right, yeah. And when you think about um, you know, the value of data, this is, this is really it right here. You get to see not only what people are searching for, but how did they, how how often did they go to your site or to your page on the site, and then click contact us. Yeah. Yeah. So it's easy to say you know give sort of um, anecdotal evidence about 
yeah, we got a lot of uh, a lot of uh, contacts or not a lot of contacts from Mobility Exchange, but this will really tell you how many people clicked contact you, how many people looked at your page, and uh, that huge amounts of information that uh, Ray uh, De Silva and what's what's his partner's name? I can see his race. Yeah, Rajiv Jain. Rajiv Jain. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. My mind went blank for a second. Uh, but you know that they are putting together it's just an incredible amount of information so yeah and, and just just to cap off this whole discussion because we've just highlighted a bunch of sessions that we've done and sessions that are on the horizon for all of you and and so you know for the listener I, I i want all of you to understand that this is this is a new direction for the association whether it's the podcast or or all of these webcasts, these are this is a new direction for the association. We want to be talking about things that are interesting to you. And so this is the first step. You know, maybe these things aren't interesting to you, but let Carl know, let me know what is interesting. And, and we have kind of a, a whole kind of list of things that we're going to be working on over the next few months. And we want to, to bring interesting topics and discussions to all of you. And these are just you know, what we're doing in January. Let us know what else you want to hear. Yeah, and those topics that we have on the uh, docket that we're working on are mostly topics that we got from members. Yeah. So either from some sort of, you know, a member survey uh, that we try to do every couple of years or it's from the annual meeting survey. So these are things that, these are topics that many members have already talked about wanting to learn. And, but that doesn't mean that we have what you want to learn. So if you, you know, on that list, so definitely let us know if there's something else or if there's something else that you think of later. Absolutely. Yeah. So Carl, speaking of data, uh, you've included this, uh, this nice little uh, migration study from United Van Lines uh, showing where Americans are moving to, where they're moving from and, and why they're moving. Uh, you know, uh, I think it's a great resource. Any, any initial thoughts from you coming out of uh, what you saw from that uh, migration study? Yeah, you know, I was surprised. Uh, there, there's a lot to unpack there. Definitely go look at it. And yep. there's a map and everything and data. But uh, what was interesting to me is that Idaho was a state with the highest percentage of inbound migration. Uh, and I did not, I would not have thought that so many people were moving or excited to move to Idaho. I don't know if there's, you know, is there a tech center now in Boise or anything, or I don't know what they're doing at the universities there. Uh, but I thought that was that was interesting, not not really uh, what I expected. I think uh, you can maybe connect this to a concept that I first heard about. Uh, well, it's not not what I first heard about, but it, it's the first person who put a name to it was Susan Benavides from Plus Relocation at our conference where she called it the concept of delocation, where you have all these knowledge workers now who with COVID, their employers are now recognizing that they can work from anywhere. And so I get the sense that, you know, just looking at the map that was provided by United Van Lines, and obviously this is just United's client base. It's not, it's not the whole US uh, for sure, but you can see uh, a general move away from high tax states New York, California, New Jersey to low tax states, which has largely fit the, the trend for the last few decades here in the States. But I think it's pr 
probably been put on steroids uh, with COVID. And my guess would be that there's a lot of people who are just moving to the great outdoors where they can re work remotely as long as they have an internet connection. That's just my sense from looking at the data. I agree, Brian. Um, you know, whether it's just to get away from the city or go to the great outdoors, as you said, or maybe go live with family. Maybe that's yeah. the grandma is or something. That's another. Your parents. Uh, but yeah, that's, it's some, it is definitely a, an evolution, I think, in uh, how people are working in the U.S. and probably other countries as well. Um, so I, I uh, put together some plans to maybe move to Malaysia and, uh, and I know a mover uh, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we know <laughs> movers there. So um, maybe we can maybe we can put that in the opening for this uh, podcast. You, you gotta you gotta listen to this in order to bid for uh, Carl's move. <laughs> right, <laughs> but. But another side of that is, let's say you're moving from New York, New Jersey, D.C., wherever, to Idaho, and you're probably still making New York, New Jersey, D.C. dollars and living in some place that maybe uh, costs half the amount to live. Exactly. You know? I mean, I, 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 you know, my wife and I, we've had the conversation, do we need to live this close to D.C. where property values are properly, uh, the, it just costs more to live here. Like, uh, you know, we've been working remotely for over nine months now. You know, does it make sense to move somewhere where we can get a little bit more, uh, pay a little bit less for what we need? Uh, so, yeah, I think those conversations are happening, not just throughout the U.S., but throughout the world. Uh, what I've heard from a lot of movers is the domestic market is really strong. The mm -hmm. international market is not so strong. So, yeah, I mean, it's something to watch, but... Um, a very helpful resource from the United Van Lines people, and uh, we appreciate them making that information available. Yeah. Um, and now we got, uh, yeah, we, we want to recognize volunteers with the association, you know, people who they don't receive any compensation, uh, but hopefully we can give them some recognition. And, and this is for our ethics council. So Carl highlighted those individuals who uh, have recently joined our ethics council for a three-year term. And if you don't know anything about our ethics council, they're, they're the member body that is charged with basically policing ethics disputes between our members. And so we're happy, very happy to include four new members onto the ethics council. We have Kirk Clements from Move One Relocations, Allison McDaniel from Allison's Relocation in Alaska, George Secure, George Sikora with Transport Management International Limited, and Kevin Spielman of National Van Lines Incorporated. Four excellent uh, volunteers who offer a, a range of experiences to the Ethics Council, and it, it, all four uh, provide a value um, in, in that case. So we appreciate them stepping up and, and offering to serve. Right, very important role they're playing there. So let's say that there's a member who's listening who wants to get involved in some sort of volunteer effort. Uh, is Julia the right person to contact? Yeah, I think you can contact anybody. Um, yeah. But yeah, certainly Julia, uh, you can always contact membership at iamovers.org. Uh, obviously, Carl, your email's already in the show notes. I always want to entertain uh, offers to volunteer. So 
you can contact anybody at the association. Um, I know we're working on uh, creating a volunteer service form that we can have on our website. Uh, I don't believe it's ready yet, but it's something that we're working on. So uh, be on the lookout for that. But we're going to be doing more, I think, Carl, to recognize volunteers um, because they do give us so much and we want to be a member-driven organization. Uh, and, and we can only do that if people step up and offer to serve. Right. And something I've felt uh, you know, the organizations I've been, uh, I've volunteered for over the years is that volunteering and leadership have their own rewards. But another reward is we want, like Brian said, we want to be able to recognize you. And that's just, um, you know, one more way to get your company and your name in front of other people. Yeah, so it's free it, advertising, right? Exactly. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all. No. Yeah. So we've got the Hall of Honor call for nominations. Uh, what is a Hall of Honor, Brian? Yeah, so um, Hall of Honor, uh, a Hall of Fame, a Hall of Honor is a very American term. It's a place where we recognize individuals who have made an outstanding contribution to, um, you know, in this case, our industry or the association. And so, you know, for those outside the United States, it's helpful to think of a Hall of Honor or Hall of Fame as kind of a living museum that we, we utilize this uh, Hall of Honor to kind of track our history and, and just recognize individuals who have made outstanding contributions. And every year we open up Hall of Honor uh, to new nominations and we wanna hear from you as to who you believe should be in the Hall of Honor. Um, Carl in the ePortal has highlighted those who have already been enshrined into the Hall of Honor. So you can see a current list of those and you can get a sense of the contributions that they've made to the association or the industry. And it also gives uh, the article that Carl uh, shared in the ePortal also provides you with the ability to fill out a nomination form for somebody who you believe is deserving. Uh, so we need those nominations by April 1st. That's when we close down nominations each year. And then our selection committee reviews the nominations and then puts forth a slate of inductees that are uh, welcomed into the Hall of Honor at our annual meeting each year. So please uh, let us know who you feel is deserving of this honor. Um, trying to think of last year, we welcomed Jeff Coleman Georgia Angle and Mark Smet uh, into the Hall of Honor. We had a lot of other nominees last year who, uh, excellent crop of nominees who will be uh, contending, but that should not deter you from uh, nominating. We, we, can't nominate, we can't enshrine those who are not nominated. So if you feel like somebody should be in there, let us know. All right, and that, uh, we, this isn't a way to recognize members. This is a way to recognize People individuals, who are, individuals who are who don't have to be from member companies. Is that correct? No, it, it is an industry recognition. So it can yeah. be, um, there is no requirement that the person has to be active in IAM. We, we, we want this to be an industry recognition. Right. So think about that. Who's made a difference uh, in the industry? And maybe we, uh, it's someone we've accidentally looked over. We, yeah. we want to catch all those people. So we have a whole list of new members, Brian. We've got about eight new members this month in January. But I think the bigger news 
is that uh, we have something, we have, I think, more than 20 prospective members. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's incredible. And I don't know, some of them are from, you know, different divisions of one particular company. But still, you know, I don't know the last time we had that many prospective members. It usually in a, at IM, we have our prospective members come in uh, right before the annual meeting because they want to attend the meeting. Correct. Uh, and then, you know, so that's usually our big push. But for some reason, this year, January, this is the year it got really popular. So, so we're, we're when we come back next month, uh, <clears throat> we're gonna be excited to show that map of of the new members for February. But remember, uh, you have the right as a, a member in good standing to object to any members you see, uh, prospective members you see on that list. So that is part of your duty as a member is to make sure that no threats uh, or unethical operators are led into the membership. We, we ask you to do that uh, duty. And then of course we have, like every issue, we have our alleged debtor lists. Uh, find out which companies are allegedly not paying their invoices. So um, it's a risk, risk avoidance uh, re resource for all of you. So utilize that alleged debtor list, keep up to date on it and make sure that your staff is aware of that resource as well. Right. Just another way that I am is helping you make better business decisions, hopefully. That's the intent anyway. So. Carl, I think we've, we have some member news in there. We encourage you to look through that, but um, again, another great issue of the ePortal. And I think uh, we appreciate everybody listening today uh, to our ramblings, but <laughs> we feel like it's very important that uh, people understand what's in the ePortal and everything that the, their association is doing for them. Right. So Brian, before I let you go, tell me one thing that you're uh, hopeful for for the new year. Ooh, you put me on the spot. What am I hopeful for? I, I am hopeful um, for the vaccine and that um, that we can ramp up production, that we can ramp up distribution, and we can ramp up getting these shots in arms to a point where we can finally get past this pandemic and hopefully. Um, get on the other side of this and hopefully get to see our friends and family a lot more and, and get back to normal. That's what I'm hopeful for. Yeah. What I, about you, Carl? Well, I'll tell you, you know, and you stole my thunder there because I was going <laughs> to say the vaccine and I saw Terry head. He stopped by the office and I don't know when last week, two weeks ago, something like that. And he said, you know, I just miss giving a person a hug, like a close yeah. friend or, you know, shaking hands and, you know, even, you know, when you go to the supermarket, you don't have the same interaction with strangers. You know, it's it's sort of a weird thing. So uh, definitely vaccine and cessation of spread of this disease is number one. So I'm gonna tell you number two, my goal for 2021 is to be able to have a rhyming couplet every time I leave a room, just like a Shakespeare play or something. All right, drop, drop a rhyming couplet on me. Uh, you see, this is this is goal for the year. This all is right, goal, all right. This is goal for today. The place uh, thing we're in will capture the conscience of the king. It's from Hamlet. Okay. I tried. Yeah. I, I told uh, I told Nicola earlier that I um, that I wrote that myself, and she called me out. Mm. 
she's a Shakespeare person, so I, that's just so, <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm gonna hold you to that, Carl. Every time <laughs> uh, I'll be like, "Where's my rhyming couplet?" <laughs> I'll have to work on that. I'll be like the 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 Nipsey Russell of a new generation. So. Yours is a lot more creative. I just resolved to uh, stop being on Twitter so much. So uh, I think I make that resolution every year, but yep, that's, that's where I'll, my head's at. But um, yeah, I, I think we've, uh, I, I'm, you know what, I'm curious to hear what our members are doing for the new year, what they're hopeful for. And, you know, if they're doing any rhyming couplets themselves uh, for the new year. So let, let us know, uh, you know, we're all on social media. You can always catch us there and we're eager to hear from all of you. Yes. All right, well, thanks for being with us, Brian. And uh, I will probably talk to you on Monday-ish. See you then. All right. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. I recently sat down with Dan Bradley as part of our Get to Know the Staff feature here on the podcast. He will tell you if you talk to him that he doesn't really have much to say. But once you get him started, he's just full of really interesting information and a lot of great stories. I really hope that you'll enjoy this interview. Yeah, so how long are we talking about? What are we? 15 to 20 minutes, maybe. Woo! You think I got enough content for 15 to 20 minutes? All right, I'm joined today by Dan Bradley, who's the Director of Government and Military Relations here at IAM. Thanks for being here with me, Dan. Thanks for having me, Carl. Yeah. Uh, so what do you do in, in that capacity? What's your job? Ooh, um, essentially, I, try and I think um, I see myself a little bit in a middleman role as um, trying to give insight on the government side and the military side to what's going on with with our members and transportation service providers in the moving industry. And then uh, you know, on the opposite side, trying to um, be a touch point for our members when they have DOD or other military like GSA or Department of State questions or concerns or uh, interpretation of, of things or why the DOD or, or other government agencies might be thinking a certain way or, or uh, responding to something in a certain way. So try and you know, connect each side to each other in, in areas where there are issues, concerns, questions, um, things like that, where we can hopefully come to a better, uh, better understanding or more common understanding of uh, each other's side. And the reason, uh, or one reason I, I understand you're so good, like this is such a great position for you, is because you were on the other side with the military, correct? I was on the other side. So I was, uh, I was in the Air Force for 20 years. And my last assignment, my last three years was spent at um, in the uh, Department of Defense program office for uh, household goods. So um, the Defense Personal Property Program. And uh, I was the chief of, uh, of Defense Personal Property Program, um, the director there. So had, um, you know, all, all aspects of the program from a uh, essentially from a rules and policy perspective uh, on, on my side. Um, and that included uh, regional storage management offices back then. It wasn't all centralized at the headquarters. It was there were regional offices. It had the uh, the um, vehicle shipping, vehicle processing centers um, was in that program. The European office, the Pacific office, and then of course the the people at Scott Air Force Base. And so, what 
before that in the Air Force, before you did that, you were a logistician though, right? Or did you did you have a uh, series of jobs in the Air Force that sort of led up to that final assignment? Or is it the uh, stuck in it? You know, for household goods, for me, uh, I was I was kind of stuck there um, in that job. It's it's within my uh, specialty in that career area. So yeah, I was um, my first. I would say four years was logistics related, but there wasn't a, such a thing in the Air Force at that time as a logistics officer. That that happened a little later, and around. Um, geez, it's hard to even say now. Eight, nine, ten years in or so, but. Um, but for my first four years, it was, I was in like command and control and in, in a thing that they called operations management, which meant a lot of nothing really, essentially. <laughs> Wasn't something that I really loved. It did get me deployed for Desert Shield, Desert Storm. So I always look at it um, as that great opportunity as a brand new second lieutenant. I jumped right in and uh, you know got deployed to go to Desert Shield and Desert Storm, um, which I, I really liked having that early experience as a, as a new officer. But other than that, I wasn't very thrilled with it. So I, I worked to try and get into transportation at the time um, in the Air Force, there were stovepipe career fields for officers, transportation, supply was another one, logistics plans was another one, um, things like that. So um, they combined all that as a logistics officer later on, early on, frankly, for me in, in that career. So I had about 16, about 16 years close in transportation and logistics related stuff. Um, and personal property is one element of that in transportation at the time and now is a legit, what they call logistics readiness officers. But um, it's not something that you most officers are, are exposed to. There's so few jobs in it that maybe, maybe at some point along the way, you are in what they call a traffic management flight. And if you're installation has their own personal property function, then, then maybe you get your hands in it there. But um, I personally never really had anything in personal property until that last job where I was the chief of personal property for all DOD. Makes sense, right? So, <laughs> so you're, you're the perfect guy for it, sounds like. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Let's get this job done. Who should we get? Uh, well, this guy's never done it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And that's, and you know, most, most people face that when they, when they get into those jobs. There are you know, there's the gypso commander jobs on the DOD side where people run a joint personal property shipping office, um, but rarely do they take an officer from there and move him uh, or her into a, that, you know, like that personal property position that, that is now in Transcom. When I was there, it was the uh, Surface Deployment and Distribution Commander, SDDC. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, quite a colorful career, it sounds like. Uh, so it's good. Yeah. So no, what, go ahead. I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? No, no, go. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you, Dan. Um, so tell me, what, what was your first job? Uh, first Air Force job? Well, was Air Force job, first job ever. It's uh, up to you to answer it how you want to answer it. Oh, wow. I mean, you could we could go in a lot of different directions there. I grew up on a farm, so my first job was being a, a small farmer, really. But that was just uh, on my parents' small farm. Um, and you all grew uh, grapes, right? For like uh, Welch's yeah. jelly and stuff or Concord? Yeah, Concord grapes. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a whole little area in uh, southwest part of New York State, south of Buffalo, where there's a lot of Concord grapes and, and some other kinds of grapes grown there. And more recently, because, because of the kind of um, 
kind of, I say recently, I don't know, time flies. It's been a while now, but when I was a kid, not many people were, were really doing that much in terms of wine in that area, but there's a little bit more of that now, I think, um, since I've left that area. You know, the Finger Lakes area is certainly has grown up as a, um, a wine producing region. So I don't yeah, know. much more much more known for wine producing in that region than than where I grew up. But yeah. there are some kind of smaller little wineries that pop up at these little kind of niche markets where uh, people have these kind of nifty little wineries that you can stop at and enjoy the local wine. Great. I'll have to look for that next time I'm up that area. Yeah, but <clears throat> as far as jobs, I... I I mean, I had a number of jobs, obviously um, farm related. I had a number of jobs as I went through college. Um, I graduated college um, in the spring, like most people, but um, didn't have my ticket to officer training school until November of that next year. So I actually substitute taught on a daily basis in my old high school and I was a football coach uh, for our junior varsity and, and uh, for the varsity as well. So. I did a little of that before I got into the Air Force. And then when I was in the Air Force, my first job was in that crazy operations management career field that doesn't even exist anymore. And I was the um, chief of air base operability at Pope Air Force Base in North Carolina. And, and one of the tenets of that was that we trained the base, the wing for chem warfare defense. And so if you recall from Desert Shield, Desert Storm, the big threat and the big unknown was how many chemical weapons did Saddam have? Mm. And um, it's a pretty big unknown. So me and many of the guys in, in uh, my small unit there deployed in different areas to do chem warfare defense and air base operability for deployed locations, so. Interesting. So what from those early jobs that you uh, mentioned, you know, working on the farm and and I guess, you know, by that point, the uh, your, your job as a substitute teacher and that sort of stuff. But that wasn't really a, an early job, it sounds like, because you had already been working for quite a number of years. Uh, but what, what did you learn in some of your early positions like that that you were able to take on into your Air Force career and maybe even to your very illustrious IAM career? <laughs> um, I think there's a couple of, working in the grapes is long and boring, right? Um, and when you're 10, 11, 12, 13, um, your, your attention span is probably not so great. Um, and frankly, I learned a couple of things. One thing I, I, I credit working in the grapes because we had 36 acres of grapes when I was growing up. And, you know, that's row by row, single rows of grapes. And my job on in the winter and the fall and the winter was to pull the brush off those vines after the grapes have been picked. So my dad would trim them and I'd pull the brush off them. And, and one post length, which isn't very far, a few feet, sometimes it would take me 15, 20 minutes to pull the brush off of that. And I would look down this one row and then I would look across the 36 acres. And I would just say to myself, I'm never going to finish this thing. This is horrible. Um, and uh, I learned to uh, put my mind to sleep a little bit, I think, right? To just kind of, you know, go someplace else in my mind and, and put up with um, something that was arduous and boring and you get slapped in the face by those vines, but it's 30 degrees outside, it stings. And, um, you know, I just kind of learned to deal with it and just kind of move on and try and get faster and faster. Um, so I think as I became an officer in the Air Force, the, my experience on the farm was that um, no job was too good for me, right? I was a ditch digger, you know, like they say in Caddyshack, yeah. well, ditch diggers too. I, I was willing to kind of do anything. Um, there, I made people uncomfortable every once in a while, 
um, because I would I was happy to do that kind of work and people would say, oh, we shouldn't have an officer here doing this kind of stuff, which I never I never agreed with that mentality. So uh, happy to kind of get in and get my hands dirty and do whatever it took to uh, to get a mission done. And if that meant, you know, building shoveling sandbags for for our defensive positions, you know, in the desert or whatever it was, then uh, I was more than happy to be right there doing that. Uh, how does that translate? Again, I, I just think people who are better off if they're willing to kind of do any portion of any job to get the job done, right? So if that's what the boss needs, then let's get in there and do it. And you know, what, what, what difference really? Um, I used to tell some of the young lieutenants who worked for me who felt like some of the jobs I gave them weren't worthy. You know, if, if you come here every day at 0700, you get a half hour for lunch and you leave at four o'clock in the afternoon and I'm not really holding you over because I've set you on some other tasks, then what difference does it make, right? Just mm -hmm. do your time and, and uh, you know, I'm not really causing you extra concern. I'm not making you stay here on a Saturday or late at night or something. Just just do what we're asking you to do and be a part of the team. I suppose that uh, also leads into uh, you know just a, a good quality for leadership. You, know, you probably had. I'm sure you you met other officers who uh, maybe were too good for some jobs, and probably they didn't have as many people following them to do those jobs. There were there certainly are are people. I mean, it's a you know, it's a philosophy that some some people have a philosophy that they don't want to do some of those things, and it's not it's not in their role and it's not their job. And you can have different philosophies, and that's fine. Uh, the lieutenants and captains that worked for me when I was going through the Air Force, I, I used to try and ingrain that in them. You know, if they said, "Well, I don't really do that," I'd be like, "Well, <laughs> I really can't do it today." Right? <laughs> and let's get after it, right? Let's, let's learn about what your troops are going through. Get out on the flight line. You know, help them push a pallet onto the back of a plane. Uh, do whatever those kind of things that are going on. And, and then maybe you can be better served to make a decision about some of those things later when, when uh, you know, that decision is something that comes to your plate, you'll have that perspective. So there's definitely people who, who see it different ways. Other people think that you get bogged down by that and you can't, you know, maybe make a higher level decision or, so there's, there's different philosophies and I respect them all, but I was, uh, you know, growing up on a farm, I, shoveled crap and whatever else I had to do that, you know, people told me I had to do. So um, that's kind of a mentality I think I carried with me. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the uh, the last book you read that made a really positive influence on you? Um, there's some good choices out there. I really liked, um, not because it was an easy read and not because, um, you know, it's like, it was a simple read. I had to read a lot of pages multiple times and I read it a couple of times, but I liked the book, The Black Swan um, by, um, how do I say his name? Uh, well, I got to think of his name. I'll research it, why, or maybe you are what I'm talking about. But anyway, the, um, the Black Swan talks about the fact that um, there are what, what the author calls black swan events things that nobody could have seen coming. Uh, and yet they, they, they happen. Things like 9-11, you know, nobody thought of using a plane to fly as a bomb or a torpedo to fly it into a, you know, building to kill civilians kind of thing as a way to get your, to, to, to kind of, I don't know, to make an impact in the way that, that they wanted to make an impact. And we were all shocked by it. Um, and it talks about how when things like that happen, we all like to look back because we want to be comfortable with not being surprised by things and, and see all the things that we should have known before it happened and why it was obvious that it was going to happen, but that it, those things are really unknowable, right? So like mm -hmm. the pandemic that we're going through, 
um, I think is kind of a black swan of, uh, event. The, the author of the book actually talked about it on a, on a uh, site that I saw, and he said he doesn't think it's a black swan event. It was something that was known that was going to happen at some point. Eh, I still think, um, and I shouldn't argue with the author of the book because he, I guess his theory would, would be better than my interpretation of his in theory, but I still think it kind of fits the model of a black swan event where things come, you have no idea they're going to come, they change you know, the way that everybody thinks about something, it changes how things are going to happen. They're tough to prepare for, if not impossible to be prepared for. But it kind of, the book kind of makes you, I think, look down the road a little bit and ask questions about, you know, everything's going great in our business right now or our industry right now or whatever it was, right? Whatever that might be that you do. And um, does that mean it'll go great forever? Or is there something out there that could change the landscape that you haven't thought of yet? And what, what could those things be? And how, you know, even if you're, if much of this is kind of something that you can't prepare for, are there things on the fringes that you could do to potentially prepare for something that could happen, even if they seem unlikely right now today? So that's a, that's really interesting. The author looks like Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Taleb, yep. Taleb. Yeah. <clears throat> so you know how to pronounce. Yeah. Well, I pretend. <laughs> I corrected you to make it seem like I knew how to say it. Oh, okay. <laughs> So what, what would you say is your superpower strength? Ugh. Other than, uh, you know, working the, the grapevines. I don't know. I don't know if it's a superpower strength. I, I think I try and take my jobs seriously without taking myself too seriously. I think you can get bogged down and, and you know, whether somebody thinks a certain way about you or that you're perceived a certain way or something like that. And that um, you just got to be able to laugh at when you, get, when you make a mistake or do something silly or um, you know you don't have the right answer or whatever it is but uh, you know take your job serious don't take yourself too serious yeah not get caught up in uh, issues of ego and stuff like that right yeah right yeah so Dan I asked you to prepare uh, something going into this and it, which was two truths and a lie about yourself and this this is a part where we it's a it's a game I like to call stump the chumps you're gonna you're trying to stump me. So what do you have for me? This would be easier to stump the audience if there is an audience for this than it would be to stump you because I think I've probably um, talked about most of this stuff. Um, two truths and a lie. I, and I even asked my kids about this and they were like, I don't know, you don't have anything good. And that's, that's <laughs> the way I about it too. So here's, here's my easy, these are softballs for you, Carl. You can hit this right. up, Carl. Ready? Um, here are three things. You tell me which is which, right? Um, I tried to walk onto the Penn State football team, big Penn State football fan, and I went to school there. So that's one. Um, I was a Air Force boxing champion. Um, I'm a grandfather. Yeah. So <clears throat> don't don't uh, uh, don't don't try to correct me until I give you the answer. I'm going to work through my uh, my logic here. I know you're a grandfather because you referred occasionally to your grandchild. Yeah. So that's, I'm, this is just logical deduction so far. Um, and I know that, uh, what, what was the second one about uh, being an Air Force uh, boxing? Was champion. it champion? Yeah. I would say that's correct. So uh, what, what most people do is they'll throw in some detail like champion where, where maybe you weren't the champion, but you were darn close. I know you were good at boxing. You had an illustrious boxing career. And you even told me a story about uh, your old coach who sounded, sounded like Mick from Rocky. 
but, I, don't, uh, I don't remember. I don't remember telling that story, but <laughs> I'm pre-Alzheimer's, so I, there's a lot of things I forget. Yeah, uh, but I would say that the uh, that those two are true, and that uh, the you did not try to walk onto the Penn State uh, football team. And why would you say that? Because I think you're uh, uh, too uh, engrossed with your studies. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's why. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I know you did the boxing thing. You know, the only thing I, I'm stuck on is were, were you a champ? I was the Air, all Air Force boxing champ. I was. You were. Okay. So I got it right. Yeah, I got it right. Okay, good. So, so far, I think that makes uh, two and two. So or actually three and two now that uh, with this one. So who uh, who stumped you? Nicola. Oh, yeah. 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 Her thing. She said, uh, I can't remember what it was now, but, it, you know, she she is into music and drama and all this stuff. And she said she had a claim that she's she played um, something like five or seven instruments. And um, I said, no, that's not right. Of course, it was correct. <laughs> yeah, and I, I can't remember what the other thing was uh, that, that she stumped me on. But uh, I was going to say I had a 4.0 at Penn State, and that would have been a lie as well. That was, <laughs> that was probably too easy, frankly, on that one, too. Yeah, I, I, I did not know many people in my college career who had a 4.0. There, there's a few. <laughs> but. Well, great. Well, Dan, thanks a lot for uh, joining me today, and you know, hope that the, uh, the members get to know you a little better by listening to this. Yeah, hopefully um, somebody will listen to it, Carl. You're the draw, so if you're if you're raking in the uh, the uh, listeners and then by connection, then they get to know me a little bit more. So that yeah, way. yeah, I know that I, I'm the big draw here. Aren't you? you are the draw. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Okay. Well, thanks, Dan, and we'll talk to you uh, probably uh, this afternoon on another call. All right. Thanks for having me on, Carl. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We want to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash iamovers slash message. I will also put the link in the show notes so you can click on it right there. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. Thank you for listening to the IAM podcast. If there's ever anything you need from IAM, you can contact us at membership at iamovers.org or contact us by going to the contact us page on the IAM website at iamovers.org. Thank you for joining us and we will talk to you next time.